Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me. I am so glad that you're listening in today. At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning how to live as God's people concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. J.R. Packer writes these words when it comes to professing, declaring belief. He says, when people are asked what they believe in, they give not merely different answers, but different sorts of answers. Someone might say, I believe in UFOs, and that means I think UFOs are real. I believe in democracy. That means I think democratic principles are justified and and beneficial. But what does it mean when Christian congregations stand and say, I believe in God? Well, it means far more than when the object of belief is UFOs or democracy. He continues and he says this, I can believe in UFOs without ever looking for one. I can believe in democracy without ever voting. In cases like these, belief is a matter of intellect only. But the creed's opening words, I believe in God, Render a Greek phrase coined by the writers of the New Testament, meaning literally, I am believing into God. That is to say, over and above believing certain truths about God, I am living in a relation of commitment to God in trust and union. When I say I believe in God, I'm professing my conviction that God has invited me into this commitment and declaring that I have accepted his invitation. Those are the words of J.I. Packer, and they're good ones for us to consider when it comes to belief, because today we're going to look at Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6, and King David is going to say a lot about what he believes about God, and it changes his life. I want to propose this. Godly courage comes not by resolutely facing our troubles— and our fears, but by resolutely facing into the power and the goodness of God. Now, before we read the text, I just want to say the Psalms are a fascinating portion of Scripture. The Psalms are the Word of God given to us, but they're also songs of worship that are given from us to God. The Psalms are a two-way street from God and to God. They are often prayers turned into song for the worship of God. They are joyful and they're mournful. They're hopeful and sometimes they're desperate. And they are unabashedly raw. In the Psalms, you will find the real problems of life, real fears and real anger and real joy and worship. The Psalms tell us that God can handle the raw outpouring of our hopes, our fears, our frustrations and desires. And in the Psalms, we find the answer to our fears, our frustrations and desires. I hope you can hear that in the text today. Let's go to Psalm 27 verses 1 through 6 and read the text. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in 
the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy, and I will sing and make music to the Lord. Those words of Scripture have something for us when it comes to facing the hardships of life, facing opposition, facing struggle, and learning how to live well in the face of those hardships, because we can live well in those when we have God as our trustworthy foundation. Psalm 27 gives us a powerful description of God, and that description can help us to put aside fears and help us to live well in hardships. Uh, There's three descriptions of God that I would turn your attention to in this text. The first one is this. David says, God is my light. It's it's in verse one, and it contains actually two of the, actually contains all the descriptions. The first of which David is stating that God is my light. And I really want to emphasize that David is saying God is my light for him and for you and for me. God is ours. He's yours. He's mine. He is my light. The Lord is my light. And why is this good? Why is this important? What does it matter that the Lord is your light or my light? Darkness can be a scary thing. You know this and I know this. Darkness is full of what cannot be seen. It represents the unknown. (sighs) And literal darkness? Well, that's easily solved by a light. Oh, how wonderful the light of a flashlight, a campfire, a porch light when you're coming home in the dark. Turning on the light brings instant comfort and clarity in a moment of uncertainty. It's often our first reaction when you hear a noise at night or when you're not sure what's going on, you turn on the light. Garrett Wilson writes that light shows our fears for what they really are. Imaginary monsters and inflated anxieties are reduced to reality. And David in this psalm declares that God is his light. All through the Bible, all through the scripture, there are descriptions of God as light and God bringing light into the dark. I want to read several passages for you so that you can grab onto them and understand and know that God is your light. Psalm 104 verse 2 says this, The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. Revelation chapter 21 verse 23 says this, speaking of the new Jerusalem, This city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp, meaning Jesus is the light for the new city. Micah 7.8 says this, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. 1 John verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 5 says this, This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. And when describing Jesus in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, we read these words in John 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, 
and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness cannot overcome the light of Christ. You need to hear that. You need to know that. You need to stand on that wherever you find yourself in life. You must understand this and take this into your mind and into your heart. Light is always victorious over darkness. I was listening a few years ago to a sermon by Alistair Begg. He was remarking about darkness, and he pointed out that darkness is not a thing in and of itself. Darkness is only the absence of light. Alistair continued, noting that if you go to your hall closet, which is presumably, if it's closed, it's dark in there, right? I mean, as kids, we're often afraid of that dark closet, that dark basement space, whatever that is. And he said, if you go to that hall closet and you open the door, which is, it's dark inside, right? When you open the door, darkness doesn't just spill out into the hallway and make a mess. There's a pile of darkness on the floor now. It's the absence of light. As soon as you open the closet door, the darkness is penetrated and erased by the light. So when you face the dark moments of life, resolve to turn towards the light of God and unleash God's light into that darkness. Darkness is easily overcome by God's light. So whatever struggle or hardship you are facing, resolve to ceaselessly and tirelessly bring God into the fight. Do not operate on any other power until you've brought God in first and his light into that moment. Dostoevsky writes this in Crime and Punishment, The darker the night, the brighter the stars, and the deeper the grief, the closer God is. He will bring light in those dark moments. And the darkness isn't a thing. The problem may be real, but the light is always victorious. Perhaps you need to make Psalm 18, verse 28, your daily and nightly prayer. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. Pray that, pray that, and pray that, reminding yourself that it's not the darkness that's champion. It is God who brings light into your life. Secondly, David proclaims in this psalm that the Lord is my salvation. Again, he uses that phrase, my salvation. That is to say that God is the source of victory. Salvation is a word that we Christians have sometimes uh, reduced to mean that we are Christians or that we're bound for heaven. And salvation through Jesus certainly makes you a Christian and it sets your destination for heaven. But we need to reattach to the word salvation, victory. Heaven is an everlasting victory, and salvation right now, here on earth, is a victory now. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the source of that victory. Now, perhaps this is difficult for you. Your life might not feel like victory right now. You might know failure. You might know pain. You might know loss. You might know failing health. But as long as you are in the hand of God, you have a victory that nothing can take away. I would share with you the words of Jeremiah the prophet that he writes in the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah is trying to process one of the greatest uh, failures he's ever experienced. Uh, not his personal failure, although no one, Israel didn't really listen to him as a prophet, but he's 
experiencing the loss of his country, his nation. He's, he's trying to process the loss of Jerusalem. And losing his nation and having his world dismantled, uh, it came through the judgment of God. And so, he's trying to process all this. It's an ultimate failure, if you will. It's a moment of grief, of, of grief beyond comprehension. And right in all the middle of all the words of grief that he writes in the book of Lamentations, he also writes these words of victory. Because he knows ultimately God is his victory. In Lamentations 3, 25 and 26, Jeremiah writes, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly on for the salvation of the Lord. Those are quite the words from a prophet who is full of grief. If you will trust that God is your salvation, those words should become your prayer. Whatever problem or situation you find yourself in, He's your salvation. If you will trust in Him. A few more scriptures about God being our victory. Moses proclaims in song, much like David proclaims in song, uh, but Moses proclaims in song in Exodus 15.2, he says this, The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Psalm 118, verse 14 says this, The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. In Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39, this is the best description I think you can find about God's uh, God bringing you victory, a victory that cannot be taken away. He says this, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a victory that is. Nothing, no hardship that you face in this moment can separate you from the love of Christ. If you are a Christian, if you have located your faith in Jesus, never forget where real victory is located. It is in your Lord. It's in Christ. Do not for one moment put that victory anywhere else and any ability, any power, any other hope. Because the moment you do, you will feel defeat. As David says, the Lord is my salvation, nothing else. Thirdly, David declares, uh, and it's a little different from the other two. He says, uh, firstly, he says, the Lord is my light. He says, he is my salvation. And then he changes it. He says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. So, he uses that word my for his life, but he says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. David is declaring that his life needs a fortress for battle and a protecting shelter. My life, as he puts it, needs a home. And God is that stronghold. The NASB, the New American Standard Translation, shows us that something is going on with this word, uh, stronghold. As it reads in the New American Standard, the Lord is the defense of my life. Somehow the Lord is a stronghold, a fortress used to uh, dominate a territory for uh, getting victory, but it's also a refuge for safety. 
And later in Psalm 27, David will be crying out to God, asking to reside in the house of of God forever. And he describes being set upon a high rock in that passage. And when you hear that phrase, a high rock, it's a safe place out of reach of his enemies. And we need to picture the landscape of the Middle East, a desert with uh, tall, wide rocks with sheer sides, just poking up out of the desert. There's that sandy ground everybody can walk on, and these rocks that just just reach up, and they're unreachable by those on the sand. You've got to be put up on top of them. It's a place safe from the enemy. So those are the three things that David declares about who God is. He is my light, my salvation, and the stronghold for my life. So now you know who the Lord is, at least according to Psalm 27. Your light, your salvation, and the stronghold of your life. And when you believe this and act on this, then the power of your enemies will be emptied out and your crisis, whatever struggle you're in, will diminish. So now you know who God is, as I mentioned. But David admits that his enemies are also real. So we need to look at that for just a few moments as well. And David describes his enemies in Psalm uh, chapter 27 verses, and it's verses 2 and 3 that describes them. And he describes them in three categories. He says that his enemies are devourers, beasts that desire to consume him, is what he says. Now, I will contend that whether you struggle with or the struggle, the crisis you face is with a person or yourself or our culture around you, um, they're all things that can devour you if you let them. And that devouring might be our physical destruction or your physical destruction, but there are other ways that you can be devoured. Uh, and here's just a couple I'll say real quickly. We can be devoured by the letting our problems consume our thoughts. Are your fears and struggles dominating your thought life? Then you're letting them devour you. They can consume our hearts. This happens when something becomes our unhealthy passion, an obsession, if you will. Um, you, you can become obsessed with, with accomplishing something and then it devours you. Or you can let something uh, become obsessed with something so much that it stifles your passion and it hangs over you like a cloud of depression and it's consumed your heart. It can also consume your time. Is your fear or struggle dominating your every moment? I've had those times in my life. It almost can feel normal, like it's this is the problem, so I've got to really dwell on it. But what's really happening happening is that left unchecked, you find yourself with no margin for God to reside in, and you've got to say, you know what, I can't let this consume my time. I've got to give my time to God. David also describes not just devourers, but he describes his enemies as a besieging army. And uh, that is to say, there's no outright battle, but they have surrounded him, put him under siege, right? And they've cut him off from the outside world. They are a presence over his shoulder that never goes away. Uh, It's a blockade, if you will. He feels cut off and isolated. And we can certainly feel cut off and isolated in our lives. And we are consumed by an enemy or by a struggle. Um, That's real, but it shouldn't be. And then finally, David says, uh, the enemy, thirdly, is like outright war. He describes his enemies as the outbreak of war. The the siege is over, now they're coming, and violence and destruction is against him. 
Certainly we can face enemies that seek to destroy us. These enemies are all real. They're all dangerous. And so you and I are left with the question, how do we, how do you face such enemies? How do we wake up and live life knowing the reality of our enemies and also knowing the power of God, but not letting the enemy dominate? These are not two items that are to be balanced on a scale with uh, our enemies on one side and God on the other. But rather, these are two items to be acknowledged for what they are. At the end of the day, our enemies are real, and our struggles are real, and we do ourselves no favors in denying them. But then, the Lord is also very real, very powerful, and the only solution to the struggles we face. The challenge, then, is how to keep yourself rooted in God when the troubles of life loom large and heavily over you. Every inch of this world is screaming for you to dwell in it instead of in God. So how do you make the leap from leap to dwelling in God and staying in God? And I would propose this. It's with action. You need to take action. Billy Graham speaks about this, and he says this in one of his messages. Just as our bodies need exercise to be strong physically, our faith needs exercise if we are to be strong spiritually. It has often been noted that several rivers flow into the Dead Sea, but no river flows from it. And that's why its water has become so saturated with minerals over the centuries that nothing is able to live in it. Without any outlet, it indeed has become a Dead Sea. The same is true with us. If we keep faith to ourselves, if we never allow it to flow through us to enrich others, it has no outlet. And then we'll find ourselves like the Dead Sea, lifeless and spiritually dead. And I would add to Billy Graham's word, when we face struggles, when we face enemies, when we face hardships, and we are unsure what to do with the culture around us or how to help our kids or anything we might be facing, we won't know what to do. We haven't taken action. And so, you must face into the power and goodness of God. And Psalm 27, as David is writing it, reveals to us a couple of very simple actions that I think we overlook all the time that can help us to face into the power of God and diminish the authority that we often give to the crisis, to the struggle, to the enemy in our life. There are three things that David does that I think we can do. And the first one is this. He makes public declaration. These first six verses of Psalm 27 are full of declarations. You need to picture David not just writing this psalm down, uh, but he's standing and using it in worship. He's standing amongst the priests of Israel and the citizens of Israel. He's in the tabernacle in a worship service, if you will. He's in the midst of a crowd. You could call it a church service if you want. We can go there. And David is declaring. He's speaking this. This is for everyone to hear, including himself. And his declarations go like this. I have enemies, and it's looking pretty bad. But I know who my Lord is. He's my light. He's my salvation. He is the stronghold of my life. And for this reason, fear has no place in my life. And I have confidence. There is power when we go through the act of declaration, of speaking aloud what we believe, our faith, what the Bible has told us. 
this weekend, this holiday weekend, uh, if you're listening on the actual Sunday, it's July 3rd, but we know July 4th is coming. It's the weekend we celebrate the Declaration of Independence, the birth of our nation, the colonies separating from England and forming a new union. You know, the Continental Congress actually voted to do this on July the 2nd, and then they declared it with that document on July the 4th. The Declaration makes all the difference. When you find yourself in hard times, devote yourself to declaring who God is. The second thing that David does in our psalm today, the second action that we can also do beyond just declaring, is he's, he tells us, but he's also doing it. He's living with devotion for God. In verses 4 and 5, David makes this request. There's one thing I ask of the Lord, to dwell in the house of the Lord. To dwell there forever. He wants to be there all the time. He's not talking about future heaven, and nor is he saying that he's going to live in the tabernacle 24-7. David is asking to have the power to live in the presence of God with devotion all the time. He wants to faithfully stay with God no matter what. Devotion is powerful. And we're devoted to all kinds of things in life. We're devoted to our families, to our jobs, our pets, a hobby. Victory is found when we are devoted to God. And that's the action that we can take. Devoting ourselves to God. The third thing that David talks about in our passage is that he worships God. Finally, David declares that he will live a life of worship. It's there in verse 6. And this is the most significant thing. Because worship places what you, the thing you worship, okay, is what you're putting on the throne of your heart. You're saying, this is in charge of me. Now, David's a king. He's used to thrones. He knows what thrones are for. He sits upon one himself. How powerful it is that David can humble himself and place God on the throne of his heart through acts of worship. And so I'd ask you today, what's on the throne of your heart? What rules your life? Chances are, whatever's sitting on the throne of your heart is what you worship, and I hope it's the Lord. Psalm 27, 6. David says he's going to worship God. And he uses phrases like he's going to offer sacrifice. He's going to offer shouts of joy. He's going to sing songs of worship. So he declares, he devotes, and he worships. These actions manifest the truth of God in a very real way. That is to say, in Psalm 27, David is saying he can be consumed by his problem, his enemies, or he can be consumed by the Lord. And he chooses to be consumed by the Lord and will do so by confessing aloud, declaring and declaring publicly his faith and by being devoted to the house of God and by worshiping often, placing God on the throne of his heart. By declaring, by devoting, by worshiping, you leave no room for the enemy in your life. So I ask this question at the end. I don't know where you're at in life. I don't know what you're struggling with. Maybe you don't feel like you're struggling with anything, but can you say with confidence the way David does, whom shall I be afraid? Whom shall I dread? I have nothing to fear because God is my light, my salvation, the stronghold of my life. Can you say that? You can have that today if you follow Jesus, if you'll let him be Lord of your life, If you'll trust in the salvation that he offers to you, the victory that he gives. I want to read a few more scripture verses and we'll close with prayer. 
Isaiah 35 verses 3 and 4 say this, and maybe this will encourage you if you're struggling. It reads, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, say to the those with fearful hearts, and I'll just add those fearful hearts, another translation, New American Standard again describes it, anxious hearts, say to those with anxious hearts, be strong. And do not fear, your God will come, and he will come with vengeance, and with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Maybe this verse is a verse that needs to become your prayer, your action in life. Exodus 14.14 says, The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So as we close this time, I want to invite you to take a moment, to take some time, and make a time of declaration. To speak aloud what the Bible has told you about God. Perhaps you need to redevote yourself to God because you've let yourself become consumed by something else. And perhaps you need to worship, putting King Jesus on the throne of your heart. Do those things so that you can confidently say, I don't have to live in fear because I know where my light is, I know where my salvation is, and I know that my life is hidden in the stronghold of God. Let's pray. Most loving Father, you will us to give thanks for all things, and you will us to dread nothing but the loss of you, and to cast all of our care on the one who cares for us. Preserve us from faithless fears and worldly anxieties, and grant that no clouds of this mortal life may hide from us the light of that love which is immortal and which you have manifested unto us in your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Go with Jesus.